Excellent. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fuel Radio and my conversation with Jim McNeish. Hi, Jim. Hi, Rod. How are you doing? Good, good. Jim is joining us from Scotland. He has a very pastoral setting outside of his window. Why don't you show, why don't you show everybody what you showed me? It's kind of <laughs> give people some context for where you are today. Yeah. It's the epitome of the pastoral setting there. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Jim is an executive consultant. He's had 30 years in leadership development and loves it more than when he started. Human potential studies, classical psychology, and organizational development underpin his professional development, but it's hands-on work with a bunch of different com companies. I'll just name the ones that I've heard of, KPMG, BP, RBS, and uh, Condé Nast, and many, many others. Growing and establishing his company is his focus for the next few years. And the reason I left out the company name is COVID's really forced you in a way to make a huge pivot, right? Not a huge pivot, but just pivot a little bit, right? Could you just, how has, how has oh, COVID yeah. affected you? So um, really early on, I, I'd started a new consultancy with um, an experienced develop, developing consultants. And uh, we saw that this wasn't going to work. So right from the beginning, um, 10 weeks ago, I had to disband the company. Mm. Um, so that was horrific. And, you know, I, I, um, I had psoriasis break out in my hands. I'd never had that before. It was highly stressful. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of guilt, you know, finishing that up. But um, it was definitely the right thing to do. I think we'd have been struggling for about a year and a half trying to make it up. Um, whereas everybody could go off and do their own thing and, and find their own way. So, uh, yeah, that was, the, that was the beginning of this. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> difficult, hey? Very difficult, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you did mention, like, the pivot's been good in a way, right? There's always, not always, but there's... Yeah, there's usually some good things that come out of that, I guess. And oh, it was amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. We had a three-day hiatus when it all finished, and then the work just flooded in. Mm. And I guess I realized that I had confused my customers a little bit in terms of um, they saw this community building and they saw this team building, and they wondered if I still did the work. Ah. Um, and so when it went back to just being me, suddenly um, Coca-Cola, BP, um, Luke Oil, um, Latasco, a whole bunch of groups just contacted me to say, would I support their senior executive teams? Um, and then we started to do podcasts and I went mm. to number 12 in the iTunes charts and we were shocked, wow. myself and Kirsty Mack. Um, <laughs> and it was just us talking about what do we think the future of leadership will look like mm. on the back end of all of this activity. So, um, yeah, it, it, the, the pivot occurred right away. I went back to being niche again, my old consultancy name, and it felt symbolic to go back to that. And um, we've now got this online thing going that is amazing and growing. <laughs> you probably, I would imagine, I mean, I've experienced this in my own life. Like theoretically, I always think if I let go of something, it's often creating space for something new. And, and until I let go of that, it just the new thing just doesn't have room to come in. Like it's kind of a yeah. a principle of the universe or something. It sounds like you that's what you experienced. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was something about that three days in between where I was just so relieved that the painful, frightening bit was over. Mm. And we'd kind of worked out that I could 
we could stay in the house maybe for about another year and a half on our savings. Yeah. Um, and so I've got my assistant still here and his fiance was up as well. And we kind of sat and had a great chat about it all. And then Kirsty Mack and I got busy with podcasts and then I was being interviewed by a man called Nathan Finocchio every Friday. Mm. And um, I'm doing another interview with a guy called John Mark McMillan, a singer tomorrow and um, singer-songwriter. And we're, you know, I just opened myself up to saying, sure, you know, why not? Why not do this thing? And then the next thing, it's just exploded and exploded and exploded to the point that this is probably going to be our highest earning quarter for about seven years. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I first met you, Jim, back in, I don't know when it was, probably the mid to late 2000s or something. At that time, you were kind of, you were known as a coach, I guess, but coach consultant. There's always a, it's always a bit of a blurry line, you know. Yes, <laughs> I think of a coach yes. as someone who um, is maybe a little bit, is open and asks sort of open-ended questions and lets you discover things for yourself. You do that too, but you're also a consultant. You had these amazing exercises. And one phrase for sure that ha I, I learned from you and has impacted me ever since, whenever I remember it, whenever, whenever I'm conscious of it, is it, like in a crisis is to uh, um, remain in the question. Yeah. That, that came from you. That, that has been so helpful to me. Like remain in the question, get all the information, and, and then, you know, kind of wait for an answer to, to emerge, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. It, it's, um, it's how do you keep yourself still processing and still functioning, mm. you know, while everything is rapidly changing around about you rather than retreat into defensive positionality. Right. That's, the, that's the death nail. That's the, that's the beginning of you kind of crumbling. But if you can continue <laughs> to stay in the question, what's this about? Where am I going? What's a great response right now? All of those things, it, it just keeps you up and it keeps you vibrant. It keeps you alive and vigilant to your system. Mm, yeah. I had, I'll mention this. Today when we're recording this is the day after Trump did his walk across the street and held a Bible up in front of a church. <laughs> yeah. And it kept me up all night, really. I was, I was, um, you know, I, I just, I went to a place of judgment right away, you know. And I, I go for a walk every morning and I just try to quiet myself. So this was, in a way, this is kind of being remaining in the question, you know? And out of nowhere, I real like the universe kind of said to me, you do that too. <laughs> and I just went, oh crap, I do. <laughs> I take selfies. I try to create this illusion that I'm someone else on social media. And it just sort of took all the judgment away. Just like, hey, I'm just yeah. like him, you know. So it's like, again, it's that back to that creating, creating space. And I was very sad. I was, sad. I was sad that I, I, I do that too. I'm sad that a leader of a country does to such yeah. goes to such great lengths to do that kind of thing. But yeah, it just it just really, I, I instantly I was saddened. <laughs> yeah, and I, I could see that. Yeah, I can see it. And I think, I think all of us, particularly if you're a leader and particularly if you're a religious leader mm. um, um, or a charismatic leader and a political leader, we, um, 
society demands that we get an act together so that we can blend in, so that culturally we can be successful and, and, and societally we can be acceptable. What a leader does is they take that cultured part of their personality and they idealize it, they identify with it. And so it becomes what's called an idealized ego state. Mm-hmm. And we exaggerate it up, all of us, and we show our best side and we show the side that will sell or be popular or get the outcomes we want. But it means that the part of us that doesn't fit that idealized state, we shove it into something called the shadow Mm. and it gets pushed down into a dark sack. Mm. And if you're a public figure, that that shadow is always very evident to everybody else. Mm. But what also happens is all of our own shadows get projected onto those public figures as well. And so they get the blame of an awful lot. And so the stuff that we don't want to own in ourselves, the stuff that we don't like about ourselves, the stuff we're ashamed of of ourselves that we've gone into denial about, we project those onto a scapegoat and it's usually the most public figures. And that's how we work out a lot of our own shame. And actually, Carl Jung says something incredibly beautiful. He says, if you really want to do something amazing for the collective shadow in the world, the most powerful thing you can do is withdraw your own contribution from it and do the work on yourself. And so it's very touching to hear that you managed to pull some of the shadow back into yourself rather than keeping it projected out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your words coming back to me from when I went, (laughs) when we, uh, your own contribution, withdraw your own contribution from the, yeah. Collective shadow. Yeah. Collective shadow. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. it, It, I instantly went through my, um, it, you know, my whole social media presence flashed before my eyes, <laughs> thinking of the times where, where, where I do it too. And I knew you would have an interesting perspective and a psychological perspective on, on, on that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Sure. <laughs> um, one of the things that we talked about in an email, I, I felt last week uh, just this, the whole subject of alignment coming up. And you, in typical consultant coaching fashion, <laughs> shot a question back at me. You know, what, what do you mean by it? <laughs> and I yes. wrote back, you're such a coach. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean it in a demeaning way. <laughs> sure. Um, but So my answer was, and I, I actually expected you to come back with more of a consultant coaching answer because I've asked other coaches this before, and they often, they're, the, the last coaching, uh, the last coach I had, had me go through my values and, and talked about it being uh, in alignment with my values. So that was kind mm-hmm. of my answer um, back to you. And then you gave this beautiful answer I thought was, and, and you just brought it up again a little bit, was being at peace with my circumstance, embracing my shadow and being whole. I, I just... I just love that answer. I think for me and for other people in my sort of in my contemplative community, um, you know, we, we're just, we just find, and it keeps coming up that embracing our, embracing our shadow, just like you said, is the way to, to growth and to wholeness. So I just, yeah. I, I, I loved your answer and just wondering if you could say some more about that in terms of alignment, because I think coaches and consultants are, they promote themselves as, We'll help you find your purpose and we'll help you live in greater alignment. So, yeah, if you could just say a little bit more about that, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Well, I mean, I guess I, I, I usually avoid coaching, um, to be honest, but I'm too opinionated. Um, 
I've always got something to say. But, um, you know, one of the things that what I offer executives is just a great conversation. Mm. Let's just chat. And um, I love Kunkel was a psychotherapist who was a mentor to John Jack Sanford, John Sanford, the great kind of young psychotherapist and priest. And Kunkel said, you know, in a showdown between the ego and the shadow, God favors the shadow every time. Wow. Um, and and that actually there is something about the shadow which is closer to the creative center of who we really are and mm. much more authentic. And it's only mucky and um, rotten because we've made it so. Mm. Um, you know, there's this idea that observation is not inert. How you look at something affects it. And so if you look at some person with judgment, they can normally tell. They have a sense that you don't like them. But if you look at somebody with a sense of appreciation um, and a warmth inside, they can feel that through your observation. You know, psychologically and in quantum physics, observation is not inert. It has an impact. And so if you take parts of yourself and you shove them into this sack called the shadow and decide that it's shameful, it should remain hidden and that you would like to neglect it, then it's going to start coming and biting you on the backside at two o'clock in the morning with worries and concerns or all sorts of illnesses or, or difficulties. But if you can spend a decent amount of time just gently and sequentially and, and um, just little bits of time pulling each segment out of the sack and bringing it into the light and being in the question of what was this its original purpose? what was it here to do for my life and, and how does it balance and how does it actually bring structure to my life? And you find a way of integrating it. Then you go on a pathway towards wholeness. You start to bring yourself back in again. And it is that idea of, can you clean your eyes up before you start looking at your own shadow rather than being judgmental with it? You know, observation, perception without love is a sin, according to Alan Watt. And when we look at ourselves in that horrific, judgmental way, it's little wonder that those parts of us remain dysfunctional and show up in ways that are destructive. Yeah. Excellent. I know the way, I mean, I tend to look at things from a sort of a recovery perspective. And, um, you know, one of the keys to recovery is to accept that you, there's something in your life that you're powerless over, and it could be put in the category of a shadow. And people have... Yeah. People have a hard time accepting accepting that, <laughs> but I, yeah. I I think inevitably after doing years of that kind of work, um, you know I see a lot of people finally go okay I'm I'm at a place where I can accept it. They don't want to accept that they have a, a an addiction that's going to you know kind of plague them in a way for the rest yeah. of their lives. But acceptance is the key. You know acceptance is really one of the keys. So it's. Kind of similar, isn't it? In, in it is. It was, acceptance is violent. I think acceptance is one of the most violent psychological processes I know. <laughs> and I, 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 I do. I watch people struggle and push and strive. And then all of a sudden there's this acceptance and the world like changes in a moment. Mm. It's like suddenly what is is and what isn't isn't mm. is just this most powerful place to stand that says, right, here's what I'm observing. This is what I accept. Now that I know what's real, I can genuinely participate in that. Right. And eventually I can start to source and draw treasure, value, mm -hmm. um, resource from actual reality. 
it's like that acceptance for me is one of the most profound pathways to move from illusory reality and the story we're telling ourselves into the place of actual reality and you come thumping down to earth but you Mm. find yourself on a beautiful piece of earth packed with resources and you can do something about it and I just think Louisa Hay was one of the most kind of profound speakers on this that said acceptance is just one of the most violent processes in psychology (laughs) wow Excellent. Um, there's a lot of chaos in the world right now to transition to another subject. Sure. <laughs> Just very, very recent. Uh, even, you know, right up to yesterday and who knows what's going to happen today. And I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember you talking about chaos theory. And um, I'm wondering if you could just expound on that a little bit. What is sure. it? So, and and how do you see it happening in our in our world? And um, I, I, I guess there's there's sort of some good news to it, isn't there? If I remember correctly, yeah. If yeah. you want to call you it, you know, that. chaos is, is is sometimes it's better just to draw a distinction to anarchy. You know, chaos is um, there's a disorder, but there's an order within it as well. And so chaos has a pattern. Like living systems are chaotic. Um, so you see birds doing these murmurations and kind of this, this beautiful flocking patterns and you can never really tell where it's going to go next. So it's not predictable, but actually you can recognize a pattern in it. You can see an emergent pattern and, and chaos has that about it, that quality that there tends to be a fractal pattern within it if you look closely enough. And then if you stand back and see the macroscopic of chaos, you can see the pattern again. And it's a bit like if you're in a, a, a highway uh, car jam, you know, and, and it's a log jam that goes back for miles. It feels really frustrating when you move forward a little and stop and move forward and stop. But if you were to take a helicopter view and you were to go up um, a few thousand feet and look down, you would see a very predictable accordion effect with the traffic moving and coming and you'd see the pattern. And so there's a place to stand and there's a place to notice eventually when you're dealing with living systems that chaos has this emergent pattern to it. And it's different to anarchy. And I think in some of these situations that we're seeing at the moment, we're kind of on the edge of anarchy. You know, Mm -hmm. we're seeing things dissolve and atrophy and break down. But when they're natural or when they're living, there tends to be a boundedness on it. There tends to be a limit on chaos. It's like there, there are rules that are being followed. And anarchy is kind of the destruction of those rules, the Mm. pushing of them down. And so I think there is an anarchic time at the moment in some of the situations in the cities in America. Um, And it's it's difficult. There's a number of different forces at work, including forces of justice, Mm. trying to kind of send a strong message. Um, But there are other forces as well that are all kind of coming in and clashing and working with it. And at the moment it's a bit of a mess, but I think if it takes its time, then something, hopefully, something useful, something good will emerge from this that we can notice. And mm-hmm. it'll be a different way of us seeing things, a different way of us engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I can see, yeah, it does It does create a different perspective, doesn't it? Like, um, personally, again, I just had a conversation with someone before coming in today, Um about how our it's a reminder again of our own racism right it's just it that that's one thing that it, it brings up is that you know again 
to see our own shadow. It's a, it's a reminder again of our own shadow. So the situation and the chaos that it's caused and um, it, 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 it does create a little bit of a, uh, it's a reminder and has created a bit of a different perspective for, for some of us, I would, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, and a lot of people are struggling to know where to stand. Like, should yeah. I be on social media putting out yes. a, um, a, a blacked out square? Should I be saying something practical? Should I be making this strong stand? Is that helping? Is it not? Is it a declaration of something useful? Is it in some cases virtue signaling? Is it in other cases deeply committed individuals who really want to say something and really make a difference? And I think because it isn't bounded at the moment, because it isn't kind of clear, then it's mm. hard to know where to stand because there isn't a reference point. Mm. But over time, there should be an emergence. And, and I think it's about what is your purpose in all of this? Everything comes back to your intentionality. And I think you can't go wrong if you get your intentionality right. If your intentionality is to diminish racism in the world, then go ahead and do what you're going to do. Just mm. be really clear about why you're doing it. I think the purpose, that putting a boundedness on your activity that says, here's why I'm doing this. Because sometimes you can't kind of do right for doing wrong. You know, like whatever you do, you will offend certain people and certain people will hear it the wrong way. And if somebody's very angry, then they'll, they'll, they'll let you have it. And so therefore that puts people off and makes them confused or insecure about what they're going to make their stand. Keep coming back to that stand that says develop an intentionality that diminishes inequality wherever you can. Mm. Um, if that becomes your genuine purpose and how you weigh up what your activity is going to be, then you're going to be okay. And if you make a mistake, you can say sorry, and then you can do better. Yeah. But it, it just get right back to that. Be really clear about whether you're virtue signaling, whether you're trying to look good, whether you are wanting to go with the flow, whether it's guilt running the show or any of those things. And if you can get it all back to what I'm trying to do and whatever I'm doing is to diminish any form of inequality, any form of prejudice, any form of bigotry in the world. I'm trying to make that happen. However you frame it, you're in much safer ground and certainly you'll work with the chaos and the feedback and the loops and the rotation just by getting really clear on intentionality. Mm. I love that. And you're reminding me, that was another teaching that really stood out to our community. And to, I know to my wife and I, we've often had these conversations, you know, what is our intention or what was, what do we think their intention is? You know, often even when they, when people, or I speak for myself, when I do things that aren't, that great um sometimes my intention is still is still love or whatever right it's still not a it's not necessarily what you would say is a misguided in intention could you you gave four categories there could you just repeat those again do you um do you recall what you said no i just usually go on a flow and then it kind of comes out <laughs> okay so. so maybe this will remind like you said the intention of reducing racism or is it the intention to um D diminish prejudice or yeah the, to, to do away with inequality um, right. of some form it, 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 you can frame it how you like it, it mm -hmm. really is about just get really really clear about what your purpose is mm -hmm. in doing this or what you're passionate about yeah see the minute you start getting really clear either as a leader or as a public spokesperson or even just somebody on social media who wants to make a stand yeah if you get clear about are you, are you passionate about this? Then it really wasn't, won't matter 
you know, what comes back or, or if you make mistakes and have to apologize and humble yourself and then take a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do the learning because the term passion comes from passio, which means to suffer. Mm-hmm. And what you're passionate about isn't just something you just like a lot. I'm passionate about pizza, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's something that you're actually prepared to suffer for. Um, that's what that's what passion genuinely means. And our egos, our rackets that we run, the games we play, our personalities are largely defensive mechanisms. So they're there to defend us from attack or um, reputational damage. And so our egos play out to protect us. But when you get passionate, it's when you put that on the line. It's when you say, do you know what? I'm going to bypass some of my defenses right now and I'm going to go on the line for something. And if you get clear that I am passionate about absolutely supporting any campaign that's against inequality, then you'll, you, you, you'll say what you need to say publicly. Passion comes from passio, which means to suffer. And basically what it is, is if you're really passionate about something, you'll, you'll, you'll make yourself inconvenient for it. You'll put yourself on the line. Mm. and um, you'll endure, you'll put up with negative feedback, you'll suffer slings and arrows um, because you're passionate. And that's its very definition. And so therefore, I think as we all kind of work out how we want to respond to this thing, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I genuinely passionate about it? Because there is nothing worse than if you are a minority who is actually being persecuted, is to see people speaking from a position of virtue signaling rather than actually a detection that there is any real history of opposing inequality in their background or in their history and, and that that's galling um, and so therefore get really really clear about your own intentionality your own passion particularly as a leader before you start um, making your public declarations. Mm. Yeah and I would imagine that the leaders that you're consulting with are facing that issue right now with like they probably had to work on their own uh, messaging and how they were going to respond as a company and with their with their employees and all of that kind of stuff. It must be right at the forefront for them right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. And if, and if they haven't really cared up till now, then there's a rude awakening that says <laughs> you're, you're 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 complicit. Yeah. You're yeah. complicit. You know. There's there's um, you know, if, if, if it's only now that you want to speak out about this issue, then, then, then complicit. So, and, and if that is the case, then be complicit, give yourself a shake, sort it out, and actually start to generate some passion for this activity, you know, yeah. so don't stay stuck in it um, and don't try and self-justify, but, you know, take the rude awakening and realize that, you know, part of the world is on fire right now and leaders do need to step up. Mm. I only have like a couple very, very part-time contractors that work for me or work with me, (laughs) but it's been interesting for my wife who got laid off during this time and just what her, the, the owner of her business has had to go through and the adjustments that she's had, had to make and um, really excruciating, you know, this is on a, still a small business and you're, you're dealing with leaders at a, even higher level. I'm sure you have some small business people that you work with as well. Have you seen a, a pattern? Like what's sort of been the, or anything that's really stood out to you? Like what's kind of been the biggest issue that the leaders that you work with have had to deal with during this time of, of COVID? 
Um, one of the ones is that I've seen a lot of is, is the idea of um, how do you humanely um, engage with your staff at home mm-hmm. over Zoom? Mm. And um, I did interrupt one leader who had instructed all their staff to make contact to 20 members of the team and to chat to them and find out how they were getting on. And I did say, how did that work out for you? And he was like, yeah, they're really shattered. They didn't enjoy that. And he said, but it's Mm. important. It's important for us to build empathy with those folks who are stuck at home. And I said, absolutely not. Um, Empathy is one of the most destructive sociological processes. And um, (laughs) You got to say more about that. I would have thought and, um, I would have thought empathy would be necessary, but yeah, say say more no, about it's, that. <laughs> it's the cause of war, mm. um, and and silos within business. Basically, it, it's quite interesting and quite pertinent to what we're seeing going on in America at the moment. But mm. what, as as we open ourselves up to another person to feel some of their uh, experience, it's far easier to do that with somebody who is more like us. When we open ourselves up to another person to understand them and to get a felt sense of their experience, it's far easier if the person is like us. Mm. And so therefore we have more restorative, satisfying, empathic experiences with people who share our DNA and who share how we look and share how we experience the world. And so at a sociological level, empathy can actually create clusters of just much more like-minded people and therefore silos and therefore tribalism, and therefore exclusion. And so Paul Bloom writes about it really brilliantly. Paul Bloom is the um, Dean of Psychology, the Professor of Psychology at Yale University. And he says, you know, we've definitely got to be compassionate and we've got to be caring of other human beings, but rational compassion, it should be data-driven, it should be numeric. Whereas, Empathy is is non-numeric. We are in it in the moment and we will favor the person that we've formed our attachment with sometimes over many others in the organization. Mm. And so it can lead to those kind of difficulties. So I'd be much more encouraging the senior executives to employ rational compassion, make it data-driven. What's going to benefit most people in the organization? What's going to have a longer-term impact on the sustainability of the business rather than you getting under the skin of a lot of people who are going through trying times with elderly relatives and homeschooling and a lot of pressure on them. You're obviously going to want to do something for them, but that can be at the expense of the majority. And so really important that you're careful with empathy during this time. Absolutely, it's a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife and between a father and a daughter and two best friends. It's it's a beautiful thing, but actually can be quite misleading at a sociological level. Interesting, fascinating. Um, so I, I want to pose this question to you. It just seems like um, leadership is evolving. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, I'll just, we can maybe wrap up with this. Just if you were to look into your crystal ball, <laughs> um, well, you know, how is leadership changing right now and then coming out of this? Like everybody says we're not going back. Like there's going to, you know, there's these catchphrases that come up, you know, a new normal and stuff like that. You know, is there going to be a new normal in leadership? Are we learning something right now that's going to be different coming out of this? Or, yeah, what are are your thoughts on that? 
So I, I don't know, but if I am permitted to guess, um, <clears throat> I would say that we're going to have to move to a level of complexity. So it would be just talked about a second tier consciousness in terms of um, consciousness studies, which basically involves a way of trying to integrate all of the non-integrated ways of thinking that there are in the world. Somehow or another, we have to make them all fit. So first tier thinking is characterized by a more sophisticated layer being disdaining of the layer below it and a more primitive layer of consciousness fearing the layer above it. That's first tier thinking. Second tier thinking is it all needs to belong. It all needs to play its part. And I think pragmatically what that will look like is leaders who are able to take global issues and make them relevant to their own parochial area and have people engage still in us having to stay joined up as a world. It still has to stay international and it has to stay global, but leaders need to be able to take that and create a fractal pattern out of that, a microcosm, and say to their organization, so here's what we're going to do that is contributory to that. And I think those leaders in the future who are able to bring that global down to being personal are going to be huge. Mm. Um, I think what's also going to be huge in leaders at that point is the ability to make the individuals who work for them feel relevant and still retain some sense of their autonomy and identity because increasingly we are going to have to think more globally. We are going to have to think in a more integrated way and you don't want people feeling like they're just part of the Borg, you know, that they're kind of joined into the internet and they're just a kind of front-end piece. A human spirit still requires significance and to be noticed. And so leaders are going to have to find that paradoxical place of asking people to contribute to hive mind thinking and contributory data collection and making it all work. And at the same time, the individual feeling valued and seen and their shadow and their emotionality all being relevant and all being welcome. Mm. And so how you hold that space of both of those things will mark new complex thinking and new complex awareness that leaders are going to have to bring. I think they're going to need AI to help them. Mm. Um, they're going to need um, joined up ways of being together, but it is going to be something which is a little bit more collective uh, information and integration of that, bringing it together. That, I think that's what's going to make it in the future. And leaders who can work to that, I think are going to flourish. And that's about working together. And if we can bring it full circle to your chaos thing or living systems approach, um, a, a phrase that would probably sum this up is, is one from evolution, which would say that the, 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 the pure evolutionary principle is this, that um, brutal species ultimately wipe each other out, but those who learn to coexist prosper. Mm. And leaders are going to have to take that on. That's great. That does sum it up really well. I was kind of lost in there at times when you were <laughs> just, just to wrap up, where's the best place to find out more about uh, niche.co? Yeah. Um, so we're creating a new platform at the moment. So quake.co, Q-U-A-I-C-H is our current website, but niche.co is coming in the next couple of weeks. Um, and um, it's some Canadians that are helping me to develop it. So that's terrific. Um <laughs> So we're looking forward to that. And then we're doing um, webinars on the shadow side of leadership um, in July and August. Wow. And we've done, it, we've done it so that it's affordable to kind of private. It's like 60 bucks or something like that, a module. Oh, um, wow. And it means that people can privately afford it. And we're, 
we've been inundated with the one we're doing at the moment on bioenergetics, body-based psychotherapy. So um, that one kind of filled up pretty quick. So we're going to do another one, keep it um, affordable, large scale. And then there's podcasts called Leaders What Now on Spotify and um, on um, iTunes with me and a woman called Kirsty Mack, who is a Glaswegian and she's very funny and cheeky. Um, so that's been going well too. Um, so that's, that's everything that's coming up in the short term. Excellent. I'll provide uh, notes or links to all those things in our, in our show notes and, um, and on social media when I, when I post this. And um, wh- when did you say the, the course on the, on the shadow is, is coming it's up? The, it's the last, it's the second half of uh, July. Second half of July. Okay. Second half of July. I think it starts on the, it might be something like the 22nd or something like that. Uh, Actually, I can tell you now it is the, it's the 21st. The first program runs on the 21st and we repeat them. So we do one at 9.30 in the morning, mainly for the British crowd, but also Australians can still get a hold of some of that. And then we do one at seven o'clock in the evening over here, which is like, um, 11 a.m. Pacific time in North America. So um, people kind of on the West Coast can all get a hold of that one too. So first one on the 21st, then we repeat it on the 23rd, and then we do that for all three modules. And how do people find information on that? Is it on the, the CASE site? or it, it, It's not there yet. So um, we we haven't marketed it yet. So you're getting advanced okay. information, really. Um, we, haven't, we haven't put anything out there yet, but we're going to start marketing it. We commence on the 15th of June, and then people can get a hold of it. But if they want to contact us by email and go on a list for it or anything, then they can, and we will add them to the list and, and write to them when it's available for joining. Okay, so that's office at niche.co. Is that the email? That's it. Yeah, okay, office great. at niche.co. Excellent. You'll probably see an email from me, and I would encourage our <laughs> listeners to participate in that. Like I said at the very beginning, I've, I've participated in some of the things that you have taught, and uh, yeah, life changing. It's still, I'm still thinking about it, still impacts me today. So, yeah.